Welcome to The Real Journey Show. On this podcast, you can expect guests of all backgrounds and professions to share a real journey they have experienced in this thing called life. From origin to current, the rocky ups and downs in the middle, and what is yet to come. The journeys of each guest will vary, but there is one thing that will remain constant. The listeners will be reminded that life experiences have a compelling way of connecting us, inspiring us, and empowering us to stay real. I am Tara Martin, your host of The Real Journey Show. Welcome back to The Real Journey Show. We are super excited that you decided to join us today. We have a very special guest, and I am very pumped up to share with you that she was a former teacher turned speaker and happiness coach. Who wouldn't want a happiness coach in their life? And they're like, let's be real here. And she not only works with schools and businesses, but she works with all sorts of organizations to help them to prioritize happiness and well-being so they can overcome their fears, discover their joy, and activate their limitless potential. This woman is the smiliest, sweetest, cutest woman. I, I love her so much. I love seeing her post on social media. You are going to love this show today. So sit back and enjoy, grab some popcorn, get your run on, whatever you're doing, and let's feel the joy from Kim Strobel. Please formally introduce yourself a little bit better than me. And did I pronounce your name right? Yeah, you sure did. And, you know, I think if, um, if, if Dave Burgess listens to this episode, he should be concerned because I need you on the road with me introducing me. (laughs) (laughs) Dave, you better watch out. (laughs) (laughs) That was fantastic. Yes. I taught fourth grade for several years and then, um, transitioned into like a coaching role, literacy coordinator, and then, you know, became a curriculum director and, Then I did this crazy thing and said, hey, I want to, um, I feel really good about empowering educators. And so I really want to create a business around, you know, innovative teaching practices, but also make sure that I'm hitting that wellness component that is really important to me. So I launched that baby in 2016, but then I've always had like this burning secret desire to really teach about happiness and wellness because I've studied it for the last 20 years. And so If it's okay with you, I'm going to kind of explain how I even became a happiness coach, because I think sometimes we can get confused exactly like, like, does this woman just walk around happy all the time? Because here's the deal. Nobody can be like that all the time, right? Yes, please do. And and that's what the show's all about. It's just all about sharing journeys that we've been through. So this sounds like a perfect launch into the real journey of Kim Strobel. So please do launch right into that. What is a happiness coach? Tell us more. Many times, like if I'm getting introduced on a stage and they do introduce me as a happiness coach and I walk out there, you know, all dolled up and in my dress and in my heels. And the first thing I have to let people know is like, actually, here's how the happiness coach was birthed. Because you know how so many times, Tara, we have a burning desire to show up and serve. And so many times it's actually out of our own challenges and our own trauma. And so... I always tell people that um, I'm the girl who basically suffered greatly for a big part of my life with a condition called panic disorder. And I don't know how familiar you are with that, but basically I always say I was kind of a nervous little girl. You know, I look back at my childhood and I see like I had these tendencies to always be worrying, 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 worrying about everything. Like when I was in middle school, if my dad wasn't home by 6 PM, I was in the bathroom, like feeling sick, convinced that he had died in a car accident on the side of the road. So I have a brain that just like overly worries and analyzes. But, um, when I was 16 years old, I started having these episodes I would be sitting in class or walking down the hallway or driving my car home from basketball practice. And basically within like a half of a second, I would be so full of extreme terror that like my whole body would shake. I would feel like the walls were closing in. I thought I was going to pass out. I knew my name was Kim. Sable house, you know, at the time, but I didn't know why everything around me looked unfamiliar. And so I started having these episodes and back then in like the early nineties, nobody knew what was wrong with me. They're like, 
does she have low blood sugar? Like, why is she having these attacks and what's happening? So basically what happened, Tara, is for, from about age 16 till about age 24, I became pretty debilitated by this illness. I started to struggle because I was having multiple attacks a day and the simplest things were becoming hard for me. For example, I struggled to drive five minutes to work. I struggled to walk to my mailbox. I struggled to go to Walmart and have to walk inside Walmart. And so for some people who are listening, they're like, well, you know, what do you mean you were scared to do that? Well, the best way that I can describe like panic disorder so that your audience or people who have not endured a panic attack can really understand how tragic it is. But if I were to put you on a train track, Tara, and I was, I was like, okay, Tara, I've got your, your feet are chained to the train track and a train is coming at you at 300 miles per hour. Okay. And I promise you that train will stop one inch before it gets to your nose. It's not going to hurt you. You're not in any danger at all. I want you to just picture what that would feel like. Somebody like me feels like that. And there's no train. There's nobody holding a knife to my throat. There's so then what happens is my brain cannot attach a logical reason for why I'm feeling the way I feel. So then I start to feel crazy or insane. Um, and I became agoraphobic. I started to limit my life. I quit college. I, 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 I couldn't be around, like I had to be around my, my mom all the time, or I couldn't go to Walmart by myself in case I would have one of these attacks. Mm -hmm. um, and so honestly, Tara, it, it was the hardest time of my life. Wow. And, you know, I always tell people for me, and I still remember, I remember like, you know, I was like 22 years old. My husband at the time had left for work. And that was always a period of like extreme nervousness for me because I'd be left at home for about 15 minutes by myself. And I went to my bathroom and I don't know if you remember this, but in like the mid nineties, the, the home decor was like the burgundy and forest green. Do you oh, remember yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. And like every room in our houses had burgundy and forest green. But for me to this day, I remember curling up in the fetal position. And I remember the plush feel of the forest green bath mat on my chin. And I, I really pleaded with God. I, I just said, look, I'm not, I don't function like normal adults. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't figure this out. All I know is that every five minutes of every damn day is a struggle for me. Mm -hmm. And I just said, I need you to, I really asked him to take my life, Tara. I just said, I can't, I cannot endure this suffering anymore. And when I tell this story, I just get emotional because I just think I was so lost. There was no one else that was knew what was wrong with me. We weren't talking about mental and emotional issues at that time. We didn't know about anxiety disorders. So I was alone in my own shame and my own brokenness and my own hopelessness, you know, and I curled up and I, I remember, and, and I always try, like, I'm like, I want to do right by this story, but I, I don't know if I heard a voice or I felt an intuitive sense. I just know that like somehow the words came to me when I was on that floor that said, like, you're not done yet. You're, you're not done yet. And so I ended up going to a doctor who had been researching anxiety disorders. He said, Kim, you have panic disorder. This is what's going on in the chemicals in your brain. And honestly, Tara, I think that doctor saved my life. I mean, I got on medicine to help with panic disorder. I got into cognitive behavioral therapy where I had to do things like, guess what, Kim, you're going to drive five minutes to Walmart every day for the next 14 days. And on day 14, you're actually going to go in the store and you're going to touch the back wall and then you're allowed to leave. Like Tara, I'm 22 years old and I'm having to do all of this crazy stuff, right? But I had to like train my brain to understand I could endure these feelings, these overwhelming fear and that I could still make it. And so that's kind of the long version of it. But the, the perspective is, is that it also 
ignited me at the time into the self-help field that was just booming. And so I started to read every single book I could get my hands on that helped me take responsibility and do the work on myself for my life. I love that. I, I just appreciate that story in so many ways. I think I remember that time too, where, well, it really, it hasn't been that long since mental health has become a topic that people feel comfortable to talk about. And I would venture to say it's still not extremely comfortable for a lot of people, even now, but, um, but especially not in the nineties, like it was just unheard of. Yeah. And, and I love the fact that, that you not only acknowledged it, but at this point, you, you actually had this doctor that saw, saw you for who you really were and was like, Hey, we can, we can overcome this and we can learn strategies to cope with this. And you can be a member, a valuable member of the society, just the way that you are. We just have to put a few things in place to make it a little more bearable and to help you to understand your body a little bit more and why it does what it does and how he gave you those strategies to overcome. You know, we're gonna do this for 14 days. A lot of people say 14 days, 21 days will make or break a habit, right? So I'm gonna do this for 14 days. Then we're gonna take it to the next step. And it's just a, a seemingly normal task for everyone else. But I think it's important to not only listen to your story for, to help us to better understand you, but also to help us to better understand the people that we serve, because what we think is easy to one could be so very difficult for another. And, and the things as educators that we need to put in place to make sure that all of our learners feel like valuable members of the society it, it's it's limitless. There's so many things out there, right? But it's important that we we value that. We 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 make sure that what is it that's going to help you to feel like your best self? And I think that's that's something I'm really interested in diving into. And I think that's where the story is leading. When you became a happiness coach, how you actually help people to discover. I mean, do, do you, I'm curious, do you help them to discover like, Hey, this is the real you and the real you is not messed up or flawed. It's not messed up. It's really, we just need to figure out what is going to help you be the best you, you know, we're not going to change you completely. We just want to help you to be able to be the best you. So I'm curious to know more about this learning, this happiness coaching. Well, and so even hearing you just acknowledge that Tara, it does bring tears to my eyes because Here's what I know. So I used to, when I thought about sharing this story, I was like, well, here's the deal. There's not going to be like, if I'm in an auditorium with 2000 teachers or 2000 business executives, not all of them suffer from panic disorder, but here's what we all do have, Tara. We all have a vulnerability. We all have a struggle. We all have endured an adversity or a challenge like Mine happens to be panic disorder. Yours might be something else, but we all carry around these kind of small versions of ourselves because we're so afraid to get real about all parts of us. And like, I'm really advocating too for our students because, you know, we learn from a very young age, don't be your real self. And your podcast is all about this, but we learn from a very young age Here's how you dress. Here's how you talk. Here's how you look. Here's, here's, here, here's how you shine. You, you, you get, you know, you're smart, you're athletic, you're whatever. And if you're not all of these things, then you don't measure up to other kids. And like, I'm truly passionate about social and emotional learning, not just with employees, not just with school teachers within the school, because I know the research that says that when we can get that well-being piece in place, it actually changes every single business, education, and organizational outcome. Okay. And I'll talk about that, but these are real things. I mean, I was coaching a principal two weeks ago and she said, Kim, I wish I was as brave as you. She said, I stand up in front of my faculty every day and I talk about mental and emotional well-being, And I talk about self-care. And she said, the whole time I'm thinking, none of you know that three years ago, I suffered from severe postpartum depression where I thought that I was going to do terrible things to my child, you know, and I didn't, she never was, but when you have postpartum depression, well, sometimes you do, but you know, you come up with these scenarios, like, what if I do this to the kid? Like your brain just doesn't work right. And she goes, 
I don't have the courage yet to stand in front of my staff because I still carry so much shame that I had that. And so I'm really working with her. We have to be careful because we can't share, unless you're Kim Strobel who shares her shame story all the time because it matches my personality, right? I'm just like, I'll just tell you everything you need to know. But for others, that can be a really scary thing. Mm -hmm. But what I know is that even though there's not maybe somebody in her staff who has dealt with that specific issue, I know that there are people in the seats who are all struggling, Mm -hmm. who feel completely overwhelmed by their jobs, completely burned out, who leave the school like I did every single day. And I never felt like it was enough, Tara. I left the school doors every day, opened those glass doors, walked out and thought, you know, I did a great job today teaching writing, but I'm really stinking when it comes to math or I didn't handle that, that traumatic child situation well, or, you know, like I think teachers in particular are very critical of themselves and we are so used to giving all that it has and it's never enough. And so it's like a lot of times I work with how do we overcome that perfectionistic behavior and why can't we give ourselves some damn grace, Tara? We don't know how to give ourselves some grace. You know, so true. And you know, we've talked about this on this podcast. So if you're a frequent listener, you've heard me talk about my perfectionist issues <laughs> that I definitely have. Um, and I'm still working. I'm a work in progress, but I think it's something that a lot of us do. And it, it goes back to one of the things you talked about, Kim, is the standard that was placed upon us as kids, you know, especially our generation. For example, as a second grader and for frequent listeners, I know you've heard similar stories of this too. It's a common one that I like to share, but I'm completely vulnerable like him. We are open books, but in the second grade, I mean, we didn't know what sensory processing disorder was. Nobody knew what that was. All we knew is like this little girl is like touching children's earlobes and fingertips and making them feel uncomfortable. And I needed fidgets. I needed noise canceling earmuffs for all the fire drills. But my teacher started to notice like she, she goes into these, for me, it was rocking spells. So she goes into these rocking spells when the the fire alarm goes off. So her husband worked as a firefighter and she had these huge noise canceling earmuffs. They were like massive. I still remember he brought them in in his firefighter suit. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever, but he said, you can wear these when the fire alarm goes off. And I think it will help you. Who knew? was like game changer. Everything calmed down, but it was just random little things that I was having to learn. And I remember Mrs. S just taking me under her wing. She did so many things for me that year, taught me to read, gave me, just changed the trajectory of my future for real. But she also taught me so many coping skills. And the reason she taught me those is she said, you're not going to be accepted in society like this. Like you really you have to learn that I know you want to touch something soft on somebody's arm, (laughs) whatever, but I'm going to give you these little fidgets to stick in your desk instead. So every time you want to do that, I want you to do this instead. She wanted me to be able to fit because she knew that I had to be able to fit in society, to have a future, to move forward, to do something great. And I appreciate that in every way. She, She did so many things for me. And I still remember just very specific social cues that I had to learn, you know, every little thing like saying stuff, mostly touching. I have extreme sensory processing issues. Even now as an adult, I have a ton of fidgets I keep with me all the time. But the point is you go, you, you talked about, we have to help people to understand that you can be your, your total real self because Mrs. S let me be my real self. She actually even acknowledged it. She used to tell me that some of those things, she told me my heightened sense of hearing was a superpower because I could hear people whispering and know exactly what they were saying. And she couldn't. And she would be like, this is going to be your superpower. If you ever become a teacher one day, you're going to be able to know exactly what people were saying. I don't ever know. And she would tell me things like that because she would remind me, you know what? This is not a flaw. It's just something that you have. And it's also something that we are going to have to control a little bit when we're around bigger crowds because they're not going to understand you. And I think that's really, I mean, what? You start to accept yourself like that, you can, you can truly just open this path between your heart and other people's heart. Because when you love yourself, you can love others. It's just part of the way it works, right? 
And I love that. And what an anomaly for back then when we didn't know. I mean, you know, I feel like still in the current school system, there's this traditional framework in place where it's kind of like what, uh, you know, Ken Robinson says, it's almost like we're putting kids through school on a conveyor belt. And we're saying in order to be successful, here's all of the things you need to be. So like, I love that she, she maybe didn't completely understand what sensory processing disorder was, but she understood that this was not some imaginary made up thing in your head. Because a lot of times, Tara, honestly, here's what we do as teachers. Now, Tara, just stop that. Now, Tara, it's going to be fine, honey. The fire alarms aren't dangerous. You're going to be fine. That doesn't work. All of us are these human beings with these unique set of abilities and these labels I do believe they can be our superpower. Like, I feel like for years and years and years, I was told like, Kim, you're too ambitious. You're too driven. You're too loud. You're too much of an oversharer. Tara, what I've learned is that those are my superpowers. And while I may not be everyone's cup of tea, I'm Tara Martin's cup of tea because you know what I'm saying? Like, how do we start to get in touch with the part at the deepest core of us that wants to show up? and say, this is who I am. This is how I was made. And I think like, for me, understanding that adults and children alike all have experienced trauma. I mean, I think the recent research is that 46% of students under the age of 17 have experienced a severe traumatic event, half of our students. So how can we not equip ourselves with the skills like your teacher did, Mrs. S, the coping skills that don't make this worse and don't make it feel shameful, but instead help you have a little ray of light to follow as you're enduring it, you know? It's so true. And I just remember her, like, although I was the stinky kid, I was the kid nobody wanted to be around. I remember Mrs. S being like my best friend, right? She was But not only that, she just made me feel like I could be something. I honestly, I I say it with my whole heart. I think she was my happiness coach. You know, she really was. She was someone who who believed in me and pushed me forward. And from that point forward, I never struggled in school again from the second grade on. I came in reading at a kindergarten level and not reading, learning my letters and left never struggling in school again. And I can't help but believe that it wasn't only the academics that she did for me. It was what teachers, if you're listening, that's what you're doing every single day for your students. It's that little stuff that you're not even really paying attention to that. Like when they get to be my age, they're like, oh my goodness, Mrs. Strobel did this for me. And I felt like a superhero. And from that point forward, I went on to be a first generation, anything graduate, you know, like, and, and other students are telling me same stories and inspiring other people to do the same thing. So don't underestimate the awesome things that you're doing, that you're putting in place to help a kid realize that you're not flawed. You're not messed up. You just might need a little bit extra support right here to fit, but that's okay. It's okay. We all have these different supports we're going to need. It is. And I, I mean, that's why, you know, like that we do the trauma informed schools training because that is an important piece for us to educate ourselves. But like, I want to take it to the adult level. I know that there are teachers who are struggling and, mm-hmm. and we, we, we are not taught to talk about this. We are not taught to bring it to the forefront. And so we're teaching next door to the teacher that we don't know is, you know, I talked to a teacher last week. She goes, Kim, I show up every day to work. I smile. I act chippery. I pretend like all is well. And she goes, but I only do it when I'm at work. Then I go home and I'm mean and I'm angry and I'm irritable and I'm depressed and I'm on the couch watching Netflix for hours on end. But then I put my happy face on back on the school day. And and the thing is, is nobody in her school knows how much she's struggling. Mm -hmm. And so what I know about happiness and wellness, because here's the other thing that I want to say. Tara, I've tried for years to block out what I consider this weak part of Kim, this part of Kim that has this struggle, the the part of Kim that in the fall of 2018, while I was creating my 90 day coaching program, um, I was literally having the worst relapse of panic disorder that I'd had in 20 years. Like I went from like, I'm flying in planes across the country, giving speaking keynotes to now all of a sudden had a major panic attack while driving and I'm scared to go to the health club for five minutes. Like literally like 
this is, this is a part of me. And so the way that I've dealt with it for years, Tara is like, you know what? I'm going to squash that part of Kim down. I hate that part of Kim. She is weak. She is feeble. And so how am I going to deal with her? I'll show you how I am going to be an overachiever. I'm going to be so darn driven. I'm going to convince myself and the rest of the world that I am, I am a good, you know, servant of the world and I'm going to just prove it to myself. And I really think when I, when I look back at why I had that relapse and I still don't quite know, but I think like with every challenge that we endure terror, we say, Hey, I'm either going to be the victim of this, or I'm going to rise up and be the warrior. So I always look back through challenges after I've gotten through them and I go, Hey, what was my new learning? And I honestly think Tara, that my new learning was guess what, Kim, you have this vulnerability to this and that part of you she deserves some darn space in you. So like when I step on a stage now and I get myself all revved up behind the curtain and I, I, I know I'm stepping in as like this big, fierce version of myself. I carry that energy. But I also say, guess what? The struggles that you come with get to come onto the stage with you too now. They get to be on the stage with you too because they are part of who you are. And we need to extend some loving kindness to the part of you, Kim, that still to this day struggles and not just criticize and beat that person up. And I think like, that's my message for your educators. It's like, you, we all have had bad things happen in our lives. So we have to come to a point and the happiness research is going to show us this. And I want to share that with you in a minute, but we have to come to that point where we say, Hey, this awful thing happened to me and it still hurts, but I still have to take 100% responsibility for my life. And I get to make that choice, right? Love it. I think it's so true. And, and when you decide to love all of you, I think that's really when you can truly be that fierce person that you were meant to be because all of those puzzle pieces are required to make this beautiful picture, right? You don't want a puzzle without a, with a missing piece. Who wants that? So why do we do that to ourselves? Well, why do we say that piece is not welcome here? That piece is not welcome here. Well, then you have an unfinished picture. So go ahead and be that fearfully, wonderfully person that you were created to be and put all those puzzle pieces together and embrace them. Because yes. truly when we embrace them, we show the world that this is real. This is me. This is all of me. And we allow them to then be real and be all of them because truly when we can all show up to who we are, to whatever that we are trying to accomplish, that's when we're really going to be that fierce person that we want to be. It is. And you know, I, I, there's this term out there that I want to speak about too called uh, toxic positivity, Tara. And we have to be really careful because toxic positivity is when we tell our people like, now, you know, like, like I'll give this example and I have a very loving mother. I mean, she is so loving, but literally I had a total meltdown. Uh, I remember it was last year. I mean, I'm like upset and she gets like, now Kimberly, remember you are the happiness coach. And I was like, Mary Jo, I'm allowed to have the full range of emotions. Being a happiness coach doesn't mean I just go around telling myself I'm happy all the time. Like we have to allow people to have their heavy feelings. If I can't say to my employees or to, or even to my students, like, now, listen, you just calm down or, um, now, now just be positive, Tara. Just think about all the good in your life. That does not work. I call BS on that. Yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. And so how can we allow ourselves to have the feelings, the full range of feelings, but then also create a set of tools that get us out of the gutter quicker. That's what I say. I'm not sunshine and sprinkles all of the time. I still go in the gutter, but I have a set of skills, Tara, that get me out a lot quicker. And, you know, we know that the stats for teachers before COVID were that 74% of teachers and 84% of school leaders were experiencing high levels of stress and burnout. That was before COVID. And so we have to take that mental and emotional well-being piece in our businesses and in our organizations. What, what we know from Sean Aker, who teaches the positive psychology class at Harvard, he, he, Oprah has featured him. He works with fortune 500 companies kind of, you know, like we do, I don't have fortune 500 companies yet, but he says we have the happiness formula backwards. He says that 
when we kind of do what you, you talk about Tara, like let's follow this fake route to happiness. Okay. So like, I'm going to be who everybody wants me to be. I'm going to be who society wants me to be. And I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get my degree and I'm going to get a job. And I hope that I choose a job where I make a lot of money. Cause if I make a lot of money, then I can buy that bigger house and I can get. And, and so the formula for success is like, put your head to the grindstone, work hard, work even harder, climb the corporate ladder, make better money, buy the bigger house. And when you're done doing all of that and you have the 2.5 kids and the one dog, you've arrived at happiness. And what we know from the research in the last 10 years is the formula is backwards. We actually know that when we put your happiness at the forefront of your life, when we make your happiness and well-being a priority, We actually change every other outcome in your life. And I will give you some stats on that. We know that a positive brain is 31% more productive than a brain at negative, neutral, or stressed. I'm going to say that one more time. A positive brain is 31% more productive than a brain at negative, neutral or stressed. And I think it's Sean Aker's quote. And so what we know is that when we can put happiness at the forefront, we know that um, your brain at positive is not just 31% more productive. It's three times more engaged in life. It's something like 14 times more creative. Like when we get your brain at positive, you function better in your work life and you function better in your home life. But how do we do that? Right? Right. That's the secret. That's what we're wanting. (laughs) Yes. Let me give you the research. I'll go right there with you. Okay. So the happiness research says this, it says that we all have what's called a set baseline happiness level. So my set baseline happiness level might be here and yours might be here. So Tara, you and I, um, we get a new job and our happiness level jumps up for a little while because we're happy about it. We get a new house. We um, we get married. Uh, we go shopping and buy a new Kate Spade purse. And I'm going to tell you, we're super happy for a few hours, right? So our happiness level goes up. But what we know is that within a short period of time, your happiness level will always go back to your default. It will always go back to your baseline. Now, what's really interesting about this is the same is true. The brain research is strong. The same is true with bad traumatic events. We actually know that a human being can endure loss, trauma, atrocities, COVID, any of these things. And that for most of us, our brain, after a period of time, will actually reset back to default. And, you know, sometimes I fight a little bit with the research from Sonia Lubomirsky because I'm like, There are just some things, Tara, that I think that if they happen to me, I just think they might steal my happiness for the rest of my life. Like the logical part of me struggles to understand that. But then I do this and I think, Tara, don't you know somebody who's endured the impossible and they've gone on to live a very joy-filled, meaningful life? Like there's people all around me. You know, I always think of like Ellie Wiesel, you know, he lived in the concentration camp. He lost his pregnant wife and, and his unborn child and his mom and dad were all killed. Like he endured severe atrocities. And somehow that man went on to live a life full of great purpose, meaning, and joy. And so there's, the research is really strong on that. Now, some of your audience members are probably like, Kim, where does your default come from? How do I know what mine is, right? Why is Tara an eight on the scale and Kim's a six or whatever? So I want you to think of your happiness as a pie chart. Okay. So what we know is that 50% of your long-term happiness is genetic. It comes from your mom or your dad or a mixture of both. So many times, Tara, when I tell an audience this, literally 80% of them drop their heads and they think, I'm so screwed. (laughs) I'm on a one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? But it's true. There's a genetic disposition. Some of us are born with brains who kind of go through the world and we just, everything that's good kind of pops out to us. And then there's others of us who go through the world and it's just harder for us. It's just a genetic tendency, but, but don't lose hope. Stay with me here. So the other piece of research that's astounding, if we're thinking of that pie chart, And this is the piece that blows my mind is that only 10% of your long-term happiness comes from your external circumstances. What's an external circumstance? I'll give you them. 
It's your profession. It's your career. It's the money you make, the home you live in, the car you drive. If you have kids, if you don't have kids, if you need to lose 20 pounds or you need to lose 50 pounds, believe it or not, that's an external circumstance. And so what happens is, is all of us, including me, we put all of our energy into the 10%. We're like, I just think I'll be happy. Like for me, I'm like, I, I think if I have a lake home someday, or if I live in Hawaii, like Dave does, I just really think it's going to increase my happiness level. Okay. I just do. And so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should ask Dave, Dave, are you happier than you were in San Diego over there in Hawaii? You know, and, and, and the, the thing is maybe he is, but maybe it's because he's doing things that aid his happiness, like getting out in nature more or having time to pursue his passions, you know, but we get hung up on the 10% Tara. Yes, it's so true. I think the world in general, and it's it's what we're taught, right? We go back to like that prescription. That prescription sets us up to get caught up in that 10%. It is. It's the formula we're told to follow. So yes. like my thing is, you know, if your spouse leaves you tomorrow, you're going to be sad and depressed. And I'm going to tell you that it's going to take up more than 10% of your pie for a while, rightfully so. The problem is, Tara, is if three years from now, you're still letting it still more than 10% of your pie, I'm going to say, sister, that's on you. Yeah. Right? It's it's true, especially if you if, it, if the research is correct and we go back to a default, at some point, that has to level back out. Yeah. So, so you want to know the other 40%? Other 40%. Yeah. You're like, tell me the other 40%, Kim. Okay. So that's the part that like I've studied for the last 15 or 20 years, that's the part that fires me up is that regardless of our genetics, regardless of our external circumstances, all human beings have the ability to increase their happiness levels by up to 40%. And really that's what we teach in businesses, organizations, and schools. Like how do we put employee well-being on the forefront? How do we also put student well-being on the forefront? And to me, Tara, I mean, I didn't want my kids to just leave my classroom and be a better writer and a better reader. Like my number one goal was for my kids to walk out of that classroom and know their value and also know that they have a positive contribution to make and how to live a good life. Yes. So like to me, we got to teach kids this because you and I are, you know, at our age, nobody taught us how to be happy. Yeah, true. So that 40% is made up of three things. It's made up of your thoughts, it's made up of your actions, and it's made up of your behaviors. Nice. And I would love to tell your audience at least one of these tips because I need another hour to go through all the happiness habits. You know, happiness habits are a part of my daily life, Tara. I mean, I exercise every day. I do my gratitude journal every day. I write my affirmations every day. I do random acts of kindness on most days. Like, you know, I, I do meditation. You know, these are happiness habits that we know will help increase your happiness levels. But I would like to give your audience one specific strategy that they can use in their life, but they can also use with their students. Let's do it. Okay. We're so it's, it's one of the top five research-based strategies from Sean Aker. And I'm not going to blow your mind here, but it's the simple practice of gratitude. Love it. Here's what we know. If we can teach you to write down three different things every single day that you're thankful for, for 21 days, we actually rewire the neural circuitry in your brain, Tara. Now, some people say, can I just think them? Can I just tell my partner? You can, but the research is strong that putting pen to paper is important in this activity. Now I'm gonna tell you why this works. So the average human being has around 70,000 thoughts in a day. Did you know that, Tara? I knew it was a lot, but I didn't know 70,000. I was gonna guess 50. Yeah, 70,000 thoughts. And if you're an average human being, which most of us are, we know that 80% of those thoughts are negative, which means most of us are going around. And by the time we have laid our head down on the pillow at night, we've had 56,000 negative thoughts. Wow. Now you're not even aware of these thoughts because they're running in the default of your subconscious mind, right? They're on default all of the time. They're running in the background. You're not even aware of them. And so what we know is, <laughs> I'll even tell you, of the 80% that are negative, 95% of that 80% are the exact same negative thoughts you had the day before. Nice. 
So we're not too creative in the negative world. We are not. We are not. Now, here's why. Back in caveman times, back in our cave times, we have this part of our brain that we still have today called the amygdala. And the amygdala, its number one role is to constantly scan its environment for danger. So this is what kept the cavemen safe because they literally every single day they were risking their life. Like, am I allowed to leave the cave today? Do I have shelter? Is there a saber tooth tiger? Is there a storm that's going to wipe out the clan? Like their brain had to do that 24 seven to keep them safe. So it was always looking, scanning for the negative. Today, 2021, we still have an amygdala and it still works the same way. So like, don't feel bad. This is part of our makeup as human beings, but we have the ability to work with it. So if you think of your brain having thousands and thousands of roadways and whatever roadway you travel down the most gets the most ingrained. So let's say that a roadway that you have, Tara, I'm just going to tell, tell me one, tell me one. Let's make this real. What's I a 70. negative thought that you say to yourself a lot? Oh, a neg- I thought you meant a roadway. I was like, I okay. 70. <laughs> yeah. That works. What's, what is Tara's I-70? <laughs> My I-70 would be um, maybe that I'm just not going to do enough. Okay. I'm not going to serve my people enough. Okay. So that roadway is strong, which means over and over again, you're, which is probably part of your perfectionism because you're trying to deal with the anxiety of not feeling like it's enough. And so you just keep overproducing and over-serving and not creating boundaries in your life all of these things because that roadway is running in the circuitry of your brain and the more it runs the deeper it gets okay so what we know is that when we can teach you to write down three different things every single day that we create a new circuitry in your brain and why and the more you do it the deeper that circuitry gets which means you're all of a sudden looking throughout your life and more things that are good about your life are popping more than even the three, because it's a ripple effect, right? Right. And so you're noticing all these small things because your brain is trained now to look for better things in your life. And so it's a small two minute habit, Tara. And I'm going to tell you, I have never worked with a business organization or client that this did not have a massive effect in their life. And I did it with students. I started every day with what we called 90 minutes of gratitude. We'd go around and every single student would name one thing they were grateful for, because at the end we had 26 things we were grateful for. At the end of the day, they got their gratitude journals out. They wrote the date and they jotted down three things I'm thankful for today. Yes. It's so important. I love it. And I think, I think it's just, I've noticed that too, when we, um, my friend and I, Tisha Richmond and I do the gratitude snaps just during the month of November, I think we should do it all year, but now I have a good reason to do it all. I do journal daily, but I don't always write down three different things I'm thankful for. So I, I often say something I'm thankful for, but I never write down three different things. And a lot of times that one thing is a lot of, uh, listed often in my journal. And so I just think I I couldn't be more on the same path as you on the same roadway as you, because really, I, I think of it when you go back to the roadway analogy, you know, you create exits, right? So I 70 is I'm not doing enough. I'm not going to be enough. I'm, I didn't serve enough and it's eight o'clock and I really need to go to bed. I'm not gonna be able to work out in the morning and I got to keep my mind and body healthy. And so, but when you start to write three different things every single day down, then you start to create these exits. And so then you're not stuck on I 70, right? You are exiting off and you're thinking of something positive and you're exiting. And before you know it, there's so many new ways to get somewhere that you don't even have to take I-70 any longer. You're not always worried about not being enough. So I can see, I just have this like <laughs> visual analogy going on in I my head. I love this part like, that you've added. Like, honestly, this is a chapter in a book that like you've just taken like what I did and like created this analogy that helps us understand. And I love the idea of exits. How do we create some exits to get off, off of that road? Yeah, because I mean, otherwise it's just a toll. That literally is a toll road here in Kansas. So (laughs) of course it is. Of course it is. But it gets you everywhere. But but we need exits, right? We don't want to be stuck in that negative. And you know, I want to say too, like honestly, I write ten every day. I don't know why ten's my number. You only the research says you just need three. 
But I want to say a couple of things. These don't have to be profound things, Tara. Like right now, I'm thankful for my McDonald's Diet Coke. I'm thankful for the snow that's out on the ground. I'm thankful for the three pups that I cuddled with on the couch. Like these don't have to be profound things. It's the little things. And the other thing I want to say is like, it also has to do with perspective, right? So, so when, my, when I was telling your audience, like, look, going to Walmart can sometimes be a big deal for me. Like when I walk out of Walmart, Tara, almost every time I look up in the sky and I'm like, thanks, just thanks because that was easy today. Because at one time in my life, it wasn't. When's yeah. the last time you left Target or Walmart, Tara? And we're like, oh, that was so easy. I'm so thankful for that. But like, I have a different lens because I have had a hard time doing that before, right? Thanks. And so the gratitude practice is about creating a new lens through which uh, uh, we can look through. But I also want to say this, does Kim Strobel do this seven days a week? I'll just be real honest with you. I do it five. For some reason on the weekends, I get out of routine and that's okay. I always pick it back up on Monday. Cause sometimes I think when we tell people it's like, okay, here's one more thing I need to do. And like, if I don't do it perfectly, I'm going to, you know, just be a failure at it. I'd like for you to do it for 21 days because we know the neuroscience behind it. But what I'm saying is if you do it 330 days a year instead of 365, I think that's phenomenal. Yes. And you're going to create exits. Yes. Regardless, right? Exactly. Just thinking on it and actually writing it down because we can think of things that we're grateful for, but it's, it's really, it's a fleeting, it can be a fleeting thought and the other thoughts can end up taking over. So actually writing it down, I, I mean, I'm going to start, I'm, I journal anyway. So this is just another little piece. And it, like you said, it's so simple because yeah. even when we made these gratitude snaps in November, it was always the simple stuff. Like I, I, I would take pictures of the clouds. Like I love the pictures of the clouds today because what made a heart. I noticed it made a heart. You know, it's just like the most random things. I'm so grateful for my refrigerator because it's yes. working today. You know, like just random little stuff. It doesn't have to be big, but the more we can think on those things, I, I, I like the idea of we are creating new pathways. We're, we're deciding, you know what, you don't have to be stuck on this road forever. And you can get off the end of you think about it. You're just like, you have a thousand exits. You can get off and, and go yes. anywhere you want, you know? Yes. And you know, I just thought of something I actually have, if you, if you would like this for your audience or if they would benefit from it, but I created like, um, it's called a gratitude track and prompter. So it like, it gives them a little bit of research, but it gives them prompts so that they can like you or your students can start to like, okay, let me think of something on the outdoors. I'm thankful for. Let me think of something in my bedroom. I'm thankful for. So it's prompt. And then it's a 21 day tracker so that they can actually jot their gratitudes for. So like, that's a freebie. If you want to share that with your audience, I'm happy to email that to you. Most definitely. We'll include it in the show notes. So if you're listening today and you're like, oh, I need that for my students. And while they're doing it, I'm going to start doing it with them and uh, create, like be a model for them. Uh, that will be down in the show notes. We'll link it up so you guys can just print it off right there. That's perfect, Kim. I love everything about what you've shared today. I think every human with breath in their body and a heartbeat is, is, can relate to this. It's not something that is so far beyond them that they're like, oh, that's just too difficult for me to try to accomplish. And I'm never going to get that 40%. I can't, I can't change my behaviors and my thoughts and my actions because I'm just like all over the place. No, we can't change some of the things that we were born with. We can't necessarily change some of the other pieces, but we can change our behaviors, our thoughts and our actions. And I love that you, you said, you know, there's so much more. So if you guys ever get an opportunity to hear Kim speak, you need to jump on that. So you can go get some more of those happiness strategies, to add to your toolkit as well. And so Kim, I'm really, I'm thinking like our audience is really going to want to connect with you. I know we have some things that we're going to include in the show notes, but how can they reach out to you? What if districts are listening or admin are listening today and they, or business owners are listening today and they're like, we would like her to come and speak to our group and share some more of those strategies with us. How can they reach you? Yeah. So you can just go to my website, strobleeducation.com and I'll let you put that in the show notes. And then, um, and then I do have a free Facebook group for women. Do you know about my Facebook group, Tara? I don't think I do. Oh, girl, you're going to want to get in there. So it's called, it's the same name as my podcast, which I'm getting ready to interview you for. So the name of the Facebook group is called She Finds Joy. 
And it's all about like, I show up there and I do like a lot of little happiness trainings, but I also just get really real with people about my own struggles and my own vulnerabilities. And the podcast, She Finds Joy is the same. It's just a mirror of like having those real authentic conversations around how we can create way more joy in our life, but we can also honor and talk about the hard things. And so, yeah, they can pop over there if that feels like their jam. It's pretty inspirational place to be. And uh, I would love to connect. I will say, I always have to say this. So you get two flavors of Kim Strobel, even though we're talking about being real, Tara, there's like the Kim Strobel who, who steps on a stage and is in her, and then there's the Kim Strobel Facebook group, which means like every now and then she might even like say a salty word or something, you know? <laughs> hey, we like that. Keep it real. That's the best part. I love all aspects of people of humans. And I love it when they have like, you know, they're feist, the sweet and the spicy. Like you got to mm -hmm. have it all right. That's yes. my favorite kind of food, by the way. Sweet. Good. Good. My favorite kind of people too. <laughs> I don't want them to well. be super syrupy, but I also don't want them to be all spice. So we've got to change it up a little bit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kim, it's just been truly an honor to have you on the show. I really feel, feel like your message just fits that real acronym so beautifully. We've talked about this, how our, our messages kind of our cousins or sisters even, um, they just fit together and they, our energies kind of blend together as well. I feel like. Um, I agree. And I, I love so much that you address that every one of us have struggles. Every one of us, maybe it's not panic disorder. Maybe it's not sensory processing. Maybe it's not a traumatic childhood or anything else that maybe I've faced that you've not faced, but we all have struggles. And so do the people that we serve. I don't care where you work. If you're dealing with humans, they have struggles. It's just part of it. And so it's really important that we, we listen to a lot of things that Kim had to share today. And we take some of that into our practice, even if it's just one thing you can take away today and, and apply it in how you're planning to work with your people or how you're planning your next moment to move forward in your own life. But think about these things because we are capable of doing a lot and find her podcast. She finds joy because if you want to find joy, this is a perfect place to be able to find it by learning strategies from the queen herself. So thank you, Kim, for being on my show. I'm truly so honored. Thanks to all of our listeners for listening too. You are most welcome. Thank you so much for joining The Real Journey Show. We are excited you tuned in today and hope that you have left feeling inspired and empowered to stay real and share your real journey with others. Remember, real, it's all about being relatable, exposing a little vulnerability, approachable, and learning through life. You can connect with me on Twitter at TaraMartinEDU or visit my website, TaraMMartin.com. Please use the hashtag RealJourneyShow to share your thoughts of today's episode. Tune in next week, The Real Journey Show.